are live. Alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Everyone, welcome to another episode of The Shady Youth. As usual, I'm your host for today, Shaquille. And as usual, we have an amazing special guest for this evening. We have the one and only Imam, Dr. Hassan Akbar, a local of New York, someone that's uh, definitely well-known in the community, mashallah. He does a lot of things with teaching the youth, with uh, community work, with you know khutbas on a weekly basis. Um, and so inshallah, we can benefit uh, quite a bit from him on today's episode, inshallah. So just starting off, Imam Hassan, uh, how are you today? Alhamdulillah, doing well. How are you? I'm good, alhamdulillah. Um, so just to just to start off, uh, just to start off, you know, easy questions. Um, where did you get your fit from? <laughs> where did you get your outfit from? That's that's an amazing oh, outfit, mashallah. Yeah, thank you so much. It was um, Wakanda inspired. Uh, that's that's after, exactly the vibe I was getting. Yeah. There you go. You see that? So you know, after Chadwick passed away, uh, I went to my tailor and I told him I wanted something that was gonna, you know, push and promote that Black Panther. And, um, you know, that black identity, that black power. So um, there's actually this brother, his name is uh, Amadou. And he has a, um, a storefront downtown Brooklyn uh, that I go to. I go to him once a year around December. And I have him make me about like uh, four or five outfits for the year, which mm. what I rotate for every Jumar. You know, uh, the Khatib should be wearing something um, special on the day of Friday. And so this is my, you know, this is my uh, my uniform for Juma. So you're not gonna see this anywhere. Like, this is Taylor game. This is if you see this on anyone mm. else, I'm gonna step to my Taylor. We got a problem. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Um, and what what about the the kufi? It looks really warm. Oh, um, I also got this uh, at the Islamic bookstore downtown Brooklyn. Again, uh, you know, I support mm. local businesses. That's very important. Um, Darul Salam bookstore. Have you ever been inside? I have actually. It's the one by Atlanta Gap, right? Right, right off of Atlanta mm. Gap between Third and uh, Nevins, I believe. Yeah, and, right um, by Masjid Farouk. Right, yeah, right down yeah. the block. So, um, uh, in this middle, uh, you know, you have the books on the wall, and in the middle, he has his table with, you know, a hundred different types of uh, hats thrown out, Afghan hats <laughs> that kind of tend to um, lean towards this style here. I was surprised to see it's made in Pakistan, but hey. Oh, wow. I support it, you know? So um, <laughs> I also try to go to him every year and get at least five hats because, you know, they wear out. I'm wearing it every day. They wear out, you know? So alhamdulillah, I got a fresh wardrobe uh, for, you know, Friday sermons and lectures. And um, I appreciate you taking notice. Yeah, no, that's that definitely stuck out because, um, you know, mashallah, your, your style is is definitely, like, it, it stands out. Like, it's, it's different. Like, as soon different. as I saw that, I was like, this reminds me of, like you said, Black Panther. Um, and great. apparently that was intentional on your part. So I guess, I great, guess they great. got Hopefully the job Hopefully they're done. making a part two and they could throw a Muslim character in the cast. I'm, inshallah, I'll support it. I'm inshallah, with it. Right. Right. Inshallah. Um, I mean, speaking of Black Panther, have, have you watched any any of those movies or uh, do you just support the, the kind of message that that movie had out there? It goes the first fit question. What is the permissibility of watching? <laughs> no, no, this? it's not a fit question. So you know, they're really easy. You know, here we go. Here's, put some jam in there and close it. Um, of course, I saw the movie. Of mm. course, I support, you know, the message, um, you know, and I support what, you know, what it, what it represents. Unfortunately, you know, as popular as that movie was, the people who profited the most was not the black community or black people. 
Um, but we hope that um, you know uh, its popularity uh, creates a lot of spinoffs and a lot of uh, other opportunities for people of color, not only Black people, to you know um, uh, be recognized and have their face uh, you know as a representation for others. Because I truly believe it's important that young people see themselves being represented all in all in mm. all aspects. You know, which is one of the reasons why I adopted this style initially. If you look at my lectures, if you go on YouTube and you find old lectures of me, you know, I'm in a thobe or I'm wearing a turban. And um, a lot of people believe or think that I'm Arab, uh, which mm. is fine. There's nothing wrong with being Arab. Uh, but, you know, I, I made a conscious effort to dress more Afrocentric to show the non-Arab community uh, that, you know, that people of color, Black people in particular, um, are knowledgeable. You know, we have knowledge too. You know, we have something to mm -hmm. contribute. Not only Arabs, you know, that have something to contribute or Asians, you know, which are the stereotypes. You know, these are the people who have knowledge. Everyone else take a seat. No, you know, I'm, I'm making a statement when I come here. I want you to see me and say, look at this African, you know, and say, wow, what does he have to say? I believe all of that is important. And I hope that I'm not only inspiring the youth, you know, um, to say, wow, you know, he's black, he's unapologetic. He's very Afrocentric, you know, maybe I want to pursue a path of knowledge, but I also hope it's educating, um, you know, uh, Arab communities and maybe um, Asian communities as well that, um, you know, um, we have our own identity and our own style, you know, and this is just, the, you know, this is the beauty of Islam, you know, no one person represents the entire religion. So, you know, alhamdulillah. Of course, of course. Um, can I ask your background by chance? Background in what way? I have so many like different... like your eth your ethnic background. Oh, okay. My both of my parents are from Jamaica. That's okay. Nine Queens. It's Nine Queens, Jamaica, the <laughs> island in the Caribbean. You know, of course, of course. Queens, brother. No, look at the map between North <laughs> and South America. There's some islands there. Mm. So my family uh, is originally from Jamaica, and uh, you know my father and mother accepted Islam in Jamaica, um, in the 70s. You know, um, during that Malcolm X era. Uh, Malcolm X was not only popular in North America, but all over the world. Mm. Alhamdulillah, you know, they came into Islam being the only uh, Muslims in their family and created a family, all of us, you know, six children, all Muslim, you know, Alhamdulillah. Uh, or at least I should say all raised Muslim. Some of us stuck with it and others decided to do whatever they want to do with their life. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so were you, were you also born in Jamaica or were you raised uh in in brooklyn so four of my siblings were born in jamaica mm. uh, and then my parents uh migrated here and i was the first child born here and then i have another younger brother one year younger than me so um if you ask me i'm gonna tell you i'm jamaican but if i say that in front of them they're gonna say i'm not really jamaican because i wasn't <laughs> born there so it is what it is gotcha gotcha um i mean could you talk a little bit about how, how that was for you being raised and, and brought up here with, you know, like you said, majority of your siblings coming from, you know, completely different environment to yourself um, and you being pretty much born and raised in, in a local of Brooklyn. Um, how, how was that growing up? And could you also talk about the time period in, in which that was going on? So um, let me see. Uh, well, I was born in 1985, right? Mm. Well, I'm an 80s baby and uh, New York City was a very violent city at that time in the 80s. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, you know, there was a lot of gang violence. And I believe it was Rudy Giuliani who was around at that time trying to clean up the streets. Mm. Uh, you know, my family was one of many immigrant families uh, from the Caribbean, specifically Jamaica. You know, they settled in um, the Flatbush section of Brooklyn, which is like known, you know, as the Jamaican section of Brooklyn. Uh, gotcha. Sorry to whoever else I offend um, who claimed that territory. <laughs> and, um, you know, the eight of us, uh, you know, we mo- lived in a, in a studio apartment, you know, um, everyone sleeping on the floor. Alhamdulillah, you know, Allah enriched them and we were able to get a three-bedroom apartment uh, in, you know, East Flatbush. And, um, you know, growing up was, uh, was um, you know, uh, I had a great childhood. Um, maybe I would say, unfortunately, I didn't grow up among many Muslims, right? I grew up, mm-hmm. you know, we're probably the only Muslim family in the neighborhood. So all of my friends and everyone who I interacted with they were not Muslims, you know, mm-hmm. they were all whatever they were, you know, and um, I, you know, went to school and, and just carried myself, you know, as a Muslim, you know, fortunately enough, in many black families, you're going to find that they're familiar with Islam, you know, they're going to have mm-hmm. a relative, yeah. uncle, aunt, someone who accepted Islam, you know, African Americans, you know, they have this affinity towards Islam, this respect towards Islam, because they know what it represents and they know, you know, how it can reform an individual. So um, even though I was the only Muslim, maybe in my circles, in my neighborhood, on my football team, you know, when I went to high school and so on, I still received people's respect, you know? Mm. And that's because I carried myself as a Muslim and I identified as a Muslim very early in life. Uh, you know, um, I always wore, you know, these type of hats, you know, a kufi or whatever. And I found the people who were the least um, who were the most um, in opposition to my Islamic identity was actually Muslims themselves, particularly Dead Sea Muslims. Pakistani mm. Muslims in junior high school and elementary school rejected me outright, told me I wasn't a Muslim. I remember this one brother, he follows me now on Facebook and he's very nice with me. But at that time, it wasn't that nice. It was three of them in particular. And I would tell them, I'm Muslim, just like you guys. Mm. And they're like, no, you're not Muslim. Say, uh, say the Arabic alphabet, prove that you're a Muslim, you know? And um, obviously for me, um, it just made me not like them, but it didn't change me. It didn't, it mm-hmm. didn't uh, make me not want to identify as a Muslim. But unfortunately, I'm sure for others, that would be a reason to drive people away from Islam, you know? But I'm sure, you know, they had their own biases because their families immigrated from, you know, wherever they immigrated from. So, you know, it was just a really you know, a first time for all of us living in this place, you know, um, and trying to just navigate day-to-day life. So uh, I'm not sure if I answered the question. It was a very general question. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I I really just wanted to know a a bit more about like your early childhood and and background. Um, And and the reason I asked that is because I think for a lot of us, um, and, and tying back to like, kind of the original question of like how you dressed and, and and stuff like that i think a lot of us see see islam as like this this one picture of like you know a guy in a white thobe and then like you know the traditional like arab kafia right um and right. and then i think it looks good in the omra photos it does good yeah <laughs> it does good it, it does look good mashallah um but uh, even even when it comes to like style and, and how you look um that has an impact because we we picture Arabs and and you know this one image and, and in your case Desis right because 
you know, alhamdulillah, we have, you know, a majority population of Muslims in Pakistan and, and Bangladesh and quite a bit in India as well. But uh, when there's a diaspora and everyone gets mixed, then that confusion kind of, you know, it causes problems. So and you, you run into you run into yeah. trouble. You know, you go into a store, you call a Pakistani, an Indian, or a Bengali, mm -hmm. you confuse them because I don't know. Oh yeah. boy, tensions fly. Yeah. But you know, it's a melting pot, and that's what you get in the city. Yeah. You know, yeah, I love definitely, it. definitely. And I don't know, like how, how I kind of view it is is for a lot of people. Unfortunately, unfortunately, this is the case. How they see it is like uh, Arabs are like the the picture of what Islam is, and then it's like Desis, and then it's unfortunately African American Muslims and you know African and Black people on the bottom. Right, and and. Right. And unfortunately, um, not only in Islam is this uh, often uh, the stereotype of the case or, you know, mm -hmm. what people really think, um, at least as it relates to my people, you know, African-Americans, Black people, as I like to call them, you know, they're at the bottom in all areas, right? It's like in religion, Islam, Arab, Desi, this, this, that, Black. Financially, mm -hmm. economics, white, Asian, Jewish, Black. Education, black, this black. So, you know, um, definitely there's a lot of work that needs to get done. And, you know, that was a part of my intention in, you know, pursuing um, this da'wah, you know, uh, with, you know, with a lot of effort and vigor and making sure, you know, I educated myself and, you know, you know, studied uh, because I know, or I knew that I would be challenged, you know, because as what you mentioned, there's a hierarchy system, there's mm -hmm. a caste system in Islam, subhanAllah, who would think and um, I wanted to make sure that, you know, um, no one could challenge me in that sense, you know, by pursuing, you know, my education, bachelor's, master's, PhD, you know, where, um, alhamdulillah, you know, I'm very comfortable and uh, I wanted to be, I guess my aspirations was to be an institution, me, mm -hmm. a walking institution, you know, uh, being able to teach and, um, and uh, be able to, uh, uh, to represent an underrepresented community. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I was reading, I've been reading a bunch of your posts like the past few years, and, and I know that you you bring up your father a lot. Um, and from what I can gather, he was an imam back in Jamaica. Um, did he have a, a right. massive influence on you in, in pursuing this uh, path on Islamic knowledge? Hmm. So yes, my father, Allah yarhamu, may Allah have mercy on his soul. I mean, I mean. Um, he accepted Islam in uh, Jamaica and um, was a native imam of Jamaica. I would dare say probably the first or one of the first mm. or from among the earliest native imams of the island of Jamaica. And um, he um, helped to build the largest masjid in Jamaica, uh, which is in uh, South Camp Road. It's in downtown Kingston. And um, he helped to secure that funding from Saudi Arabia to build mm. this masjid. Uh, so um, our roots are really deep back there in Jamaica. And whenever I go, uh, for da'wah or for uh, vacation, um, you know, there's a lot of respect um, given because of the work that my father did um, to help spread Islam uh, in those days. Um, as for my father, he was a very quiet individual, very reserved. Uh, you know, I think of the saying uh, from some of our scholars that if speech is silver, then silence is gold. You know, my father had a platinum card. There was not much talking uh, you know, on his end, uh, but uh, he liked to show his work through his own example. So what's really interesting is, 
you know, growing up, I didn't know that my father did all of these amazing things. And it was only truly, you know, during his illness in 2008, uh, you know, when he became ill with cancer and um, succumbed to his illness, um, I began to get phone calls from people telling this story and this narrative. You know, I mean, the prime minister of Jamaica, which would be, you know, our president here called mm -hmm. me, you know, and said, you want to honor your father with the order of distinction. In wow. Jamaica, we have a holiday called National Heroes Day, where they honor Jamaican citizens for their, them, for their contribution. And he was honored as a national hero of the island. This is a person with, you know, a fifth grade education, um, you know, who, um, you know, was not the greatest academic yet and still impacted not only his country, but so many people that they would give this honor to him, you know, and uh, I was asked to come and accept this award, which would be televised on national television, um, you know, on his behalf. So um, through through different phone calls, talking with different people and going through my father's things, finding all these articles, I'm like, whoa, like he did so much. And mm -hmm. I didn't even know that he did any of this. So, you know, I really can't say that, um, you know, like there was a big influence in my father's always lecturing me, always advising me. No, he was an individual who was always enjoying good, always, you know, mm. being active, uh, always, um, being part of, you know, that change. And I saw that, you know, I saw his activity. I saw, you know, what he was doing for the Muslim community. Um, you know, uh, I can tell you this much, though. My father must have saw something in me because out of all of my siblings, whenever we would go to different events, uh, whether it was connected uh, to, um, hey, Sonicum. Um, some. I heard the winds blowing very intensely and then that was it. Oh, is, is, I don't know, is that it? I don't know. Like yeah, so possibly. Back. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I believe you were talking about how uh, your father saw something special in you. Oh, yes. And then he cut so, off at that point. Yeah, so um, uh, my father, um, I said, uh, you know, maybe he saw something in me early because whenever we would go to different events, uh, uh, whether it was, you know, meeting politicians or um, hosting events, you know, for the Muslim community, for the Caribbean American community, uh, whenever it was time for him to speak, he would always push me forward and give me the microphone. And what was crazy was he never said, okay, you're going to be talking today. And so this is what you got to talk about. It was always, all right, we're going to have a few words from Mr. Akbar. And he would just go and push me forward. And I'm like, what, what, what am I supposed to say here? You know, like, like what, you know, and my younger brother Hussein, um, you know, he's one year younger than me. Um, he would always, you know, put his head down and go, I don't know how you do it. I, I don't know how you do it. Thank God. Thank Allah that dad pushes you in front of the microphone because I can't do it. So, you know, like, uh, you know, I believe there was some training there uh, being able to, you know, speak uh, um, and, um, you know, stand in front of an audience and the likes. Um, you know, as for my Islamic training, you know, um, alhamdulillah, you know, we were a family that, you know, frequented the masjid, uh, was very heavily involved. Um, so, you know, my father established that, you know, Islam as our identity. And, you know, from time to time, he would always uh, say to us uh, from time to time, um, you know, no matter what happens in life, just remember that Allah is your Lord and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the messenger. You know, and if, if, if you can just hold on to that, I would be pleased with you guys. So, you know, this was really 
Um, you know, um, I treasured, I treasure those moments and I treasure that advice. You know, I treasured, uh, you know, those nights when, you know, we were in the car with him and driving and he would just, just say this, you know, um, also, you know, another memory of mine's just, uh, you know, which I reflect on is, you know, my father, as many of our fathers, you know, we, we believe them to be like, you know, impervious to anything very strong, you know, you know, um, you know, they're our dads, they can do whatever. And, um, uh, you know, I remember several occasions, you know, walking casually from my bedroom to the kitchen to get something to eat or drink and, you know, hearing my father weep, you know, and looking into the living room and, and seeing him watching, um, you know, old tapes of, you know, Abdul Basat reciting the Quran and he's crying to the recitation of the Quran. And it's just like, you know, all right, you know, I guess dad's having a moment, mm -hmm. but you know, now as I become older and I, I've grown to, to understand and I've learned the importance of the Quran and, you know, what it does and what the Quran has done for us as Muslims and, you know, how we would just all be misguided without it, you know, it being a living miracle. Um, you know, the more I reflect on it, the more I appreciate, again, those moments and saying, wow, you know, thankfully I had a father who respected the religion, respected Islam and had such a love for it, you know, that instead of telling me to love the Quran and telling me to do this and that, you know, through his actions, you know, it, it, it showed and it resonated. So um, as for seeking knowledge myself, those are one of the regrets, uh, uh, not necessarily a regret uh, because it's out of my control, mm -hmm. but um, it was really unfortunate that, you know, my father passing away, you know, um, uh, that triggered me to say, okay, I'm going for Hajj. Now, mind you, I was very young, I'm 22 years old, 23 years mm -hmm. old. I just not on the mind of, you know, young people at that time, you know, we're talking about, you know, 15 years ago. Um, now there's a lot of Umrah programs and young people are going to perform Hajj and you can, you know, every masjid is organizing their own Umrah trips, you know, but before they weren't available like that, you know, Hajj was an old man's thing, you know, Umrah was, you know, an old, you know, uh, old men and old women or, you know, family events. It wasn't catered, designed for the youth. But, you know, when he passed away, I said to myself, you know, you know, every soul is going to taste death. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, you know, and no soul knows in what land he's going to die. I'm like, this is the perfect example. My father was 52. I mean, so young. At that time, I thought he was old, but now that I'm in my 30s, yeah. I'm 35, mm -hmm. I'm like, who is? It's not even, it's not even close to being old. Um, so you know, I went to perform Hajj, changed my life. You know, I just, I came back with a renewed commitment. I came back and just saying, hey, I want to start studying Islam. You know, I want to start learning. Uh, unfortunately for me, you know, going to Medina and studying the traditional route wasn't an option because my father passed away. And I had two younger sisters to take care of, a nine-year-old and a 10-year-old, you know? And, um, you know, I had responsibilities. I was recently married just one year. And, um, you know, my wife, um, you know, we had one child, six months old. So there was a lot on my plate. And um, I couldn't go overseas to study. But that's not, uh, that doesn't lift the obligation of studying and pursuing knowledge, right? The Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa you know, um, that each and every one of us should seek a path to gaining knowledge, right? Seeking knowledge is a responsibility. It's a farida. 
It's fard. It's not optional. You have to seek knowledge and learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And so I began to look at what options were available to me here in the States. And luckily, a good brother, his name is Adam. Um, he advised me with, uh, uh, with this institute called Arise Institute, which was based out of Houston, Texas at the time. And they were offering a bachelor's degrees for a four-year program. And um, it was um, either you lived in Houston and you could go take live classes or you had to do it via the internet. And alhamdulillah, you know, I, I pursued it and I just never looked back and it just, I just kept going. I just kept going, alhamdulillah. And, and I've been, you know, it's been success. It's been successful. So, you know, you, know, he, you know, my father's not here to see all of this. He's not here to mm-hmm. see his son become an imam like he was. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. see any of this. But inshallah, and, you know, on uh, Yom Al-Qiyamah, inshallah, Allah forgive all of us and enter us into the Jannah. We have all the time to speak about it. Right. I mean, that just goes back to the, the hadith of uh, the things that will benefit you when you die, right? That you definitely know much better. Um, you know, so the Qajariya, a, a child that makes dua for you, you know, what you taught him. Um, Correct. Mm. Correct. Correct. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. And this is why it's also important that, you know, um, I, uh, not that I was a bad child or I was in mm-hmm. the street or I was in the gang. You know, unfortunately, um, even though... I have a lot of credentials that many uh, or that most African-Americans don't have, you know, with degrees and diplomas, not only African-Americans, but even in other communities, you know, um, Arab communities or Desi communities, not all of our imams and khatibs are doctors or master's degrees, you know, they're just memorized the Quran in a place uh, in a madrasa and they came and they're the imam, you know. But for them, that's it's it's easier to respect them because they're mm-hmm. Arab, because they're, you know, Pakistani. It's easier to respect them and not even ask for qualifications. But you know, as an African American, as a black man, it's like, well, where did he study? You know, <laughs> neighbor question, you know. And um, Subhanallah, uh, you know, um, a part of uh, studying. Um, I totally lost my train of thought there, but uh, I guess the point that I was trying to make was. Uh, you know, I, I, I went into these programs because I knew that just reading the Quran, just, you know, studying hadith individually, you know, I cannot make as big of an impact as I want to make, you know, mm-hmm. and I have to go through some types of institutions. And I'm so thankful that I chose this untraditional route because it helped me to not only gain knowledge, but also not get hung up or caught up in the, the baggage that comes with studying overseas. There's a lot mm-hmm. of baggage, there's a lot of clicks. You know, there's a lot of like, you know, rivalry between schools and institutions. And, you know, fortunately mm-hmm. enough, I've been able to distance myself away from that and just take the knowledge. You yeah. know, you know, we say- No, as a, as, as, <laughs> I don't want to say it like this, but as a Hanafi, I can definitely understand that there point. We there we go. You know, I studied- <laughs> so many- myself. Yeah, you know, my chef, uh, you know, we studied the Shafi'i uh, fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even though my chef is a graduate from Medina University mm-hmm. uh, in Saudi, you know, a PhD, um, he holds a PhD. Um, but um, we did take the, you know, the the, the Shafi'i Madhab, yeah, particular reasons as well. And um, alhamdulillah, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I, I, Allah protected me from this type of uh, getting caught yeah. into circles. You know, yeah, it's it's so sectarian and so many groups, and it's just like. Oh man, <laughs> I thought something was so simple. And then I, I guess the more you get practicing, unfortunately, you see more of these groups and it, it's yeah. really just like, you've got to hold firm to what you've been taught and just 
you really just have to trust what your teachers have given you and, and really just stick to that. Or at least that's what I've been telling myself because, you know, alhamdulillah, you have a lot more knowledge and, and a lot more to fall back on. Um, and I, I want to ask you about, about more of that because um, you said that you started when you were 22, 23. Yeah. Um, which is about the age that, coincidentally, I think Abu Hanifa actually started studying as well. Um, yeah. And... It's- Sorry, were you it, is, say it, something? Is, it is. I'm saying it gotcha. is. Gotcha. Yeah. So, how how did you balance studying, you know, getting a bachelor's, which is hard enough on its own, and then raising a whole family? Mm. Well, you know, uh, this is a very good question. Uh, you know, Allah can make the difficult easy and make the easy difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, first and foremost, you know, I credit Allah Subhanahu wa Taala who made this easy for me, you know, made my affairs easy. You know, we have a hadith from the Prophet in which he says that whosoever makes the akhirah his goal, his objective, you know, trying to get Jannah, trying to get closer to Allah, Allah will make his affairs easy for him, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, my goal and objective is the akhirah, you know, is seeing, you know, those things that no eyes have seen, hearing sounds that no ears have heard, nor no mind can imagine, you know? And as a result of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has really made what most people see as being extremely difficult and, you know, unmanageable. Allah has made it manageable for me uh, in particular. So, um, you know, uh, yes, I, I was married, um, one child, uh, baby, two younger sisters, uh, that I was supporting, um, just started my, my first career. And, you know, I work in, for the, in the utility industry, you know, so I just got, you know, I landed my real job, um, uh, was still uh, finishing my, um, my, my bachelor's degree in telecommunication at the time. Mm-hmm. I have a bachelor's degree in telecommunication engineering. And at nighttime, I was doing these classes online. Wow. So um, it was a lot. It was a lot. But after, you know, after you know Allah with, with Allah's assistance, I think the second thing that really helped me to accomplish them was that I enjoy studying Islam, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're able to tolerate, you're able to to retain what you enjoy. You know, there are some people who enjoy, you know, I don't know Fortnite or these <laughs> other things. You know, they just enjoy yeah. it. And say, bro, how are you sitting here playing that for five hours? And they're just like, I just love it. And I work with some of them. I'm like, yo, you're on your lunch break. Why are you watching videos of somebody else playing games? Like, mm. that doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm mm. sure for them, them watching me listening to lectures don't make any sense, right? So it really depends on, you know, what you love, what your passion is. And alhamdulillah, Allah put a, a fire in me for seeking knowledge, uh, for learning about Islamic uh, sciences, uh, and um, for studying. Um, these things, I find it easy to me. And um, uh, I find that I don't become bored of it. You know, I find that um, even the most, you know, caveat of information, you know, the most nuanced information, um, you know, I, lo- I love every page. You know, it's not like you read a book and you go, man, the beginning was good in the back. You just, you try to get through it. <laughs> yeah. For me, the whole book, mm-hmm. you know, for me, all of the sciences, are, it, it's intriguing and it captivates me. So alhamdulillah, you know, um, the third thing that I want to say is that um, I never quit, right? So mm-hmm. there are many times where we start something and then we quit halfway. 
But if you would only commit and just continue at your pace, you would find that, you know, look, 11 years have passed just like that. Whether I was studying Islamic sciences or not, 11 years would have passed. The fact is I didn't give up on my studies and I just continued. You know, I didn't say this is the time I have to finish this. And then this is the time I have to finish this. I just said, well, what can I handle this semester? Three classes, then so be it. What can I handle next semester? Sheikh, are you offering anything in the summer? And I just continue to study and continue to grow. And, you know, alhamdulillah, as a result of, you know, graduating from these institutions, um, I was always encouraged as well from the shuyukh, uh, who were always encouraging me to continue and to further my education. So, you know, we thank Allah. Uh, it was an individual drive in me to learn these things never quitting when you're starting something mm -hmm. and um, a positive reinforcement, you know, getting, you know, um, positive feedback from, you know, my teachers um, really helped me to, you know, um, to arrive at, at where I am today to, you know, to be who I am today. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mashallah. Um, what is, so you said that, you know, you kind of just looked at it as like a semester based thing, you know, let me not overthink this. Um, was it always, uh, a plan to go all the way, get a PhD, or were you, right. were you just focusing on the degree at the time? So I think I was only focused on getting the bachelor's degree at the time, uh, mm -hmm. to be honest. It was only, let me get this bachelor's, um, and and I would, I would, have, I would be knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get this bachelor's, and I'm going to be somebody. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get this degree, and, you know, I arrived. And, you know, interestingly enough, you know, my sheikh, his name is Dr. Issam Rajab, and um, he um, is still the president of Aris Institute, Aris University, which is now based in Malaysia and also in Turkey as well. He's moved it international. May Allah continue to uh, preserve him and to Ameen. place barakah and blessing in this organization and this Ameen. university. Um, at the end of our study, I would say the graduating class was about 15 of us. Hmm. And... Uh, about 12 of them were sisters and three brothers, right? Wow. And I found this. The sisters, they beat us in everything. Yeah. We like to blame that we're, you know, with the best. Mm -hmm. Even when it comes to, even when I was at LIU, there was like 70 sisters and like 15 brothers. It's it's know? always like that for any MSA, man. It's right. always That's like two or three so, to every one brother. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, he asked us, he said, um, all right, I want to ask you guys, um, how much, how much do you think you know? This is after graduating, after getting our certificates, the question, we're ready. Come on, hit us. What, you got a fit question? You got a history question? You got an inheritance question? Come on, bring it on. How much do you think you know? And we're like, man. He goes, before you answer, how much did you think you knew before you even started the program? Mm. And I was like, man, I thought I knew so much. I could name you all 25 prophets, kinda. You know, I know the Quran and Sunnah. Everybody got Bukhari in their home. So, you know, I thought I knew a lot. And that was the point. Before even coming in the bachelor's program, we all thought we knew a lot, mm -hmm. right? And we only discovered we didn't know after studying. Mm -hmm. So now that we finish our bachelor's, we all realize that the answer is not, you know, alhamdulillah, I'm knowledgeable. It's what else is there that I don't, what am I ignorant? What am I still ignorant of? Yeah. No. And that led us into, you know, him encouraging us, hey, continue to pursue your knowledge. So it shifted from there to say, wow, 
after four years of study, I still don't know enough. Yeah. You know, I still don't know what I'm ignorant of until I learn it. So let me continue and pursue the master's degree. And the sheikh um, at that time, he said, this year we're actually launching a master's degree. And I told him, you know, I couldn't, you know, afford, you know, to, to pay for these, for the master's degree. And he said, being his top student, he wasn't, you know, it wasn't for free, but mm. I didn't have to pay right away. Just mm. continue studying. I don't want to hinder you, you know, so alhamdulillah. So it just, I just rolled over into getting my master's degree. Um, interestingly enough, I always thought that after finishing my bachelor's, I would, you know, be ready to take the microphone and to give the chutbah <laughs> and teach and to lecture. Uh, but I found so many, I, I found so much resistance from the, these communities that I prayed in and, and attended. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I found this desire for those who were holding on to the mic to never let it go, to not wanting to pass the baton, you know, to wanting to question one's credentials when they themselves didn't have any credentials. You know, you know, I found myself going to different messages and saying, hey, listen, I know you know me because I've been coming here forever, but I don't want to give khutbah. I just want to give like stories of the prophets, maybe like a Saturday lecture to the youth. Here is my degree. Don't judge me on your friendship, on our friendship. Just here's my degree. And I found I actually went to three masjids. All of them turned me away. All of them are like, oh, hey, assalamu alaikum, Hassan, how are you? Yeah, here's my bachelor's degree. Oh, a bachelor's? When did you do this? I said, I've been doing it four years. Oh, well, um, uh, uh, inshallah, uh, we have enough classes. Or mm. another response I received was, um, um, do you know Arabic? Did you study Arabic yet? And I said, do I know Arabic? The community here doesn't speak Arabic. You don't know Arabic. Why are you asking me if I studied Arabic? So, you know, I found nothing but resistance. And, uh, you know, the sheikh, I you know, I would tell him about this. And he said, you know, this happens to all of us. Like, you know, a lot of, you know, um, people who have the knowledge, they're often rejected, mm -hmm. you know? And there are so many masajids, something will open up for you. So actually, I never really got fully active speaking and teaching until I actually completed my master's. And mm -hmm. I think that that was the better route for me. Uh, there are some people who after one semester, they're ready to get on a microphone, open up a YouTube channel and begin fatwa left, right and center. Fortunately for me, um, I did not start speaking until I had completed my master's degree, which I think put me at a way bigger advantage and, and built more confidence. Gotcha, alhamdulillah. So, I, I mean, a, a lot of that reminds me of some, some advice that I was given recently where, um, uh, at, at this point in my life, I, I think a lot of us, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years old. A lot of us are confused about, uh, the pathway that we've chosen, you know, is this the, the thing that I want to do for the next 20 years of my life. Right. So this advice that I was given was, you know, go through every single thing you're interested in and ask yourself, am I in love with the idea of this title that I would be granted? Mm. Or am I in love with the process of getting there? Um, and just as you beautifully said, you loved every single bit and every single science that got you to, you know, the scholarly title that you've been given now. Alhamdulillah. Mm. So anything that I, I've, you know, taken interest in, such as writing, such as, you know, this podcast, right? Uh, I have to ask myself, like, do I really like the actual work that's behind it? You know, editing episodes, writing on a consistent basis. Um, and, and I think even for scholarship, a lot of people love the idea of sheikh, right? Of right. imam, oh, wow. of, of mufti, right? Oh, um, what a title. Yeah, right. But <laughs> they don't want to put in the work. 
They don't want to put in the work. They don't want to put in the work. There's one thing I want to add to that advice. That advice that you were given was sound, but I'd like to add to it, if I may. I also want to say that, um, yes, you should, you know, pursue, you know, your passion, uh, you know, and, you know, um, you will be more successful if you find that, you know, you, you have a desire to, to do whatever it is that you're pursuing. Mm -hmm. But you should also recognize and realize that it may not always be the case that you can monetize that, right? Exactly. Be able to yeah. Take care of yourself, be able to take mm -hmm. care of your family and responsibilities. And so we shouldn't be, you know, those people who are like, no, mom, you're ruining my dream. Yeah. When yeah. you get a job? If I get a job, that means <laughs> I gave up on my dream of whatever. No, yeah. I'm out. Get your butt up and yeah. go and work, right? Yeah. Because Allah placed us in the earth and he didn't just say, okay, this is the agenda. No, we all have to go out and provide. So yep. yes, pursue what you love, but also make sure you have a nine to five. Make sure you mm -hmm. have a job. Make sure that you can take care of your parents. Make sure mm -hmm. that you put yourself in a position because that's, a, that's also a part of worship. That's also a part of you know pleasure, being able to support one's relative. If you can manage them both, you would be. How many people work nine to five and have hobbies doing all yep. sorts of things? So why can't you do them both, right? Exactly. And this is my dilemma with some of the youth. They just, I just want to be able to study Islam. Uh, my parents don't understand. No, your parents want you to get a job. And mm -hmm. I understand that. I have a job full time, which is another reason why I'm at such a big advantage is because I work full time. Yeah. I know what it is. I know what the workplace is. I know what the work environment is. It's not like when we go to certain imams, they've never worked a full time job in their life. And then you're asking them how to navigate work. You know, you're going to get advice that although it may be sound, it may not be practical. Mm -hmm. It may not, you know, it may not be what, how, what's going to help you. Right. So it's very important that I just want everybody to know that you can do both. You can work a full-time job and you can pursue your dreams. If pursuing your dreams leads you to a path of independence, Allahu Akbar. Mm -hmm. If this podcast blows up, you get a million, two billion followers. And now the money's coming in. <laughs> Excellent. Mabrook, yeah. enjoy it. I just ask you to make sure you give and you support, you know, definitely. definitely. I mean, I, I'm still, I'm still in school. Right, and right. most of my friends, they have passions, they have hobbies, but we still have a plan. Like we still have right. careers that we're going to follow for the next 10, 20 years. Follow it through, go all the way. Yeah. You, to, you know, do your, do, pursue your dreams, mm -hmm. but don't forget, you still have a career. Yeah. That you have to, you know, uh, to be able to manage and take care of yourself. You know, Islam emphasizes so greatly on, you know, um, what we call, you know, ghina, ghina nafs, mm -hmm. you know, um, self-contentment or um, being free from needs, you mm -hmm. know? It is better for you to go and chop firewood than to beg the people, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't want to be like, mom, I'm pursuing my dreams, but can you make breakfast? <laughs> no. Mom, I'm pursuing my dreams. Make sure you wash my underwear. No. Get up, get a job, you know, take care of your parents, take care of your relatives. There's more than enough time in the day for you to, you know, um, have a career as well as, you know, have a passion, have a hobby, mm -hmm. you know, and hopefully that hobby and that passion becomes, you know, your full-time career. Yeah. One of the full I mean, Right. I mean, I, I'm always reminded of, you know, the Salaf, right, the pious predecessors. Um, and I, I always love the story of Abu Hanifa where he, he would, you know, he had a textile business, you know, as you of course know, yes. um, and he would actually fund his students' educations through that textile business. So he was a working man. He had a business. His education was not giving him, you know, an income. Right. He was doing the work. Right. Um, right. And even to our, you know, current shuyukh, 
you know, like Sheikh Al Albani, you know, he fixed watches. Mm-hmm. You know, Jordan, that's what he did. You know, he fixed watches. Mm-hmm. As well as we find, you know, many of um, the, the, you know, our great imams, even Imam Malik, you know, his father made bows and arrows. He was an arrow maker. Mm-hmm. You know, Imam Shafi'i, he would translate and he would, you know, um, you know, translate books or, or write letters for people or, you know, um, or took up different jobs and occupations as, you know, judges mm-hmm. and, you know, receiving a salary. So we find from, you know, our great imams that, you know, they were not afraid of work, mm-hmm. you know, and this is one of the things that I also, you know, it doesn't make me the most liked imam, but <laughs> I'm really glad that I'm employed, that I can say what, what what's on my mind without fear of, I'm going to anger the community. They're going to push me out. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, uh, anyone who sees me give the khutbah, they're like, man, you're so passionate. And you come in here, you're really giving it to them. And, you know, I say, hey, listen, every time I come in to give a sermon, I am, t- by the time I walk through the door, I tell myself, this is the last day they're going to invite me here. Mm-hmm. Right. Because then I'm going to give them what they need to hear. But if I'm planning for my next khutbah, I may hold back. Right. I may say, mm-hmm. no, let me not say this. Maybe they're not ready for this. This is not what we find from the prophets and messengers. What did we find? Yeah. They came and they called the people to two things, to the worship of Allah, and then they call them out on their vices. Mm-hmm. They say, you guys need to worship Allah and you got to stop drinking. You got to worship mm-hmm. Allah and you got to stop prostituting. You now worship Allah, you got to stop robbing, stop being violent. You call the people to Tawheed and then you also call them out on what they're doing wrong. Now we have this brand of, we're going to call the people to Tawheed and only remind them of the Jannah and not mention you know, don't smoke and don't sell the haram because those are the mm-hmm. don'ts in the masjid. Nah, if you want that khutbah, go get someone else. Mm-hmm. Okay, I could, you know, uh, I'm teaching, I'm writing. I don't have to be the one to, 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 to <laughs> do that, you know? So, um, you know, you're right, you know, being employed, being gainfully employed, I think this is one of the things that that many of our imams um, it, it, um, are lacking mm-hmm. and... and um, I believe that they would be able to do more good for the community if they actually, you know, also were employed, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, we do need scholars who are just dedicated to scholarship, mm-hmm. but our most of our imams are not of that caliber, you know? So, um, you know, we, it, we kind of give a false representation of what it means to be an imam. The Prophet Sallallahu mm-hmm. he worked. He worked before becoming a prophet and even as a prophet, he was, you know, handling affairs and businesses. And, you know, he worked for Khadija bin Huwailid. You know, he was a shepherd of sheep uh, before being a prophet, you know. And yet we find, you know, so many of our learned never holding a job in their life. I think having a job builds character, right? Mm-hmm. This is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said, there was no prophet except that he was a shepherd of sheep. You know what that mm-hmm. means to me? When I hear the hadith, it means there was no prophet except before coming up, becoming a prophet, he had a job. That's what that means to me, you know, because having a job is important. It builds character, right? It builds d- discipline. You know, you think being yeah. a shepherd is a, is a, is a good, is, is a great job that you have to watch sheep. You think it's a job where you can sit down and twit and, and, and go through your Twitter account while the sheep are just roaming. No, you have to be on the lookout. You have to be on the alert. You have to, you know, tend to them. It builds character. Allah knew what he was doing when he made sure every prophet and messenger, and we only know of 25, he made sure they all had a job before he gave them prophethood. Take it who want to take that. Challenge me, whoever want to challenge me on that. 
<laughs> Dang, that was that was a lot, mashallah. And that was I'm sure everyone that's watching will will have something to reflect on on that. Um, so the timing of this episode, coincidentally, um, will probably be be the first week of February, which is Black History Month. And oh, great. Uh, alhamdulillah, you have uh, you've been doing this for the past couple of years, where every single day of February you have uh, you highlight uh, one of you know our our black pious predecessors um so if if you if you could inshallah could you just go through like some of the 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 major you know giants that we have in our history wow so um uh definitely you know first and foremost uh you know when it comes to black history month and recognizing our giants Mm -hmm. you know the first person that comes to mind is one that um is very um uh, it, it's known by it's it's an individual who's known by everyone, mm-hmm. um, but whenever I label him as being, you know, a black, uh, you know, uh, uh, pre- predecessor, mm-hmm. um, it, people become people become uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and that is Adam alayhi salam, you know, the mm-hmm. father of humanity, you know, Allah subhanahu wa taala tells us in the Quran that He created him from black mud, right, mm-hmm. and even when it comes to um, the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, in the Muwatta of Imam Malik, the Prophet said he saw a dream in which he saw Isa ibn Maryam and he described Isa's complexion as uh, Adamiyun, that he was like Adam in color. When you look up this term, this phrase, you find that its color, its description is black or dark brown. Right, not white and delightful as you know many as as Adam is often depicted, right? And it's really crazy because we don't know what he actually looked like. Mm-hmm. So to to say that he was a certain color shouldn't bother anyone because you know we don't have a picture of him. But the mere fact that I would even insinuate that maybe possibly that black mud dried into a black figure, mm-hmm. oh no, it's like. Oh no, this is why we don't have our young people listen to this guy. So I'm going to say Adam alayhi salam because the Quran mentions it. We have the hadith that mentioned it. His color was black. Adam mm-hmm. aswad or asmar, right? So he is the first um, of the great, you know, black, uh, you know, predecessors. He's the father of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he is, uh, you know, uh, uh, the one. Uh, whom we all go back to and whom we all connect to, mm-hmm. you know, being the first prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. So his virtue is, is, uh, doesn't need to be too emphasized because, you know, all of the, uh, you know, religions which identify with Abraham or what mm-hmm. they call Abrahamic faiths, Christianity, Judaism, they all go back to Adam and there's no differences of opinion on this. Um, another individual. So I, I have, this is a bit off topic, but. So if if Adam Islam was you know dark skin dark complexion, um, what what about uh, those around Adam Islam? So his his wife Hawa and then um, some of his his children Habil Qabil, um, Shita Islam, uh, generation after, were were there anything said of, of them or or because mm-hmm. were there anything said by you know scholars in, in terms of like how they uh, their features were? So we don't have any narrations connected to his wives, his wife, mm-hmm. Hawa, or his children as to, you know, what their colors were, what their complexions were. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we can say is two things. And this uh, is not 
proven by any ayah or hadith because I just said we don't have anything on it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So this is just me giving you, you know, an educated guess uh, or an idea, right? So disclaimer, this is not a hadith <laughs> or ayah. I'm not saying that. You know, I have my proven evidence that Adam was black in color. It's there. It's in the Quran. It's in the Muwaffa. But mm -hmm. talking about his wife and his children, we know that his wife was created from his rib, you know, and the rib is not black. You know, the bones mm -hmm. in the bodies are also not white, but it's not black. Right. Mm -hmm. So were we to say that, you know, maybe, you know, she was of a lighter complexion and mm -hmm. thus between the two of them, you know, we were able to get such a variety of color, then certainly this would be plausible. I am not saying that this is an ayah or a hadith. I'm just, you know, we're just talking right now, right? We're gotcha, just, yeah, of course, no problem. Right now, we're just vibing. You can yeah. completely disagree. I could completely be wrong. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. I'll challenge you on Adam's color, but anyone else's mm -hmm. color, fine. If you want her to be yeah. green, she's green. I'm okay mm -hmm. with it. I don't discriminate with the colors, right? Uh, the second thing that I want to say, even genetically speaking, when you look at Europeans, we don't have from them um, you know, a white person, you know, um, having a baby, you know, that's like black, you know, mm. we, that's not a term. We don't even have a word for that. But we do have, genetically speaking, Africans, black people having albino children. Mm. I mean, right, two black yeah. parents and then a white child comes. So in the DNA, you know, in our, in, in our makeup, you know, uh, is the possibility of having white coming from black. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the diverse colors of the world, I don't, it doesn't, it's not a challenge to me because I, I know, and every one of us can Google, you know, black families having children born with blonde hair and blue eyes and white yeah. skin, you know, and mm -hmm. what is this coming from? It's coming from the hadith of the Prophet in which he mentions that Allah took dirt from all over the earth, red clay and the black mud, you know, and the white, you know, sands. And there's so much different colors of dirt and put it together. So that means we can take from that, that mud that he fashioned, mm -hmm. which became, you know, black sticky mud as described in the Quran, in it is all of the colors in, you know, that we, that we have become. And it just takes gotcha. things to come out, you know? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. I mean, you could uh, go on and, and mention a few more, inshallah, of the, uh, you know, oh, uh, some of the uh, black. So, yeah. So the next person, I would, um, you know, mention would be, you know, um, uh, Habiba or Um Baraka. Um, you mm. know, she was mm -hmm. the wet nurse of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um Ayman? Was um Ayman. Um Ayman. Right. Or, mm -hmm. Known as Baraka, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, the, she, she was the wet nurse of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And she was Ethiopian, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and um, we know that in Islamically, Islamically speaking, when a child weans from a mother mm -hmm. and of course when you go into the fiqh there are so many different opinions it has to be two feedings or five feedings or that's not the conversation now mm -hmm. the prophet he fed he was weaned from her for years so he had mm -hmm. more than enough uh, uh feedings for her to be considered like a mother to him mm -hmm. and so you know i often write the post that you know Today, on today, we are celebrating the, the black mother of the Prophet You know, although the Prophet Muhammad mother, um, you know, was an Arab woman, he was still, you know, weaned from an African woman, you mm -hmm. know, and she became a foster mother to him and her children became 
foster brothers to the Prophet So, you know, this is an amazing virtue and it just shows, you know, the, 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 the diversity of Islam and the connection. Um, you know, you find in other religions, this narrative of one people, you know, whether it's just Bani Israel or others to the exclusion of the whole world. But we mm -hmm. find in the Prophet from among the people who he was around, there were Romans, there were Persians, there were Africans, there were, you know, Asians, there, you know, there was so many different people. And that's why this is a religion for the whole entire world. So, you know, definitely Um Ayman or Barakah, you know, I would mention as well as, you know, one of our great, um, you know, um, uh, Muslima uh, in mm -hmm. Islam. And, you know, what comes to mind is one incident where uh, Omar bin Al-Khattab and Abu Bakr went to visit her because the Prophet Sallallahu used to visit her mm -hmm. as we all should be visiting our mothers, right? I mean, we shouldn't abandon our mothers. So the mm -hmm. Prophet would visit her because she's like a mother to him. And after the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Abu Bakr and Omar went to visit her and they found her weeping. So Omar said to her, why are you crying? Don't you know that Allah has given him something better? That Allah mm -hmm. has, you know, given the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi a greater reward and, you know, is making him pleased and happy. And she said, I'm not crying because of the death of our Nabi, but I'm crying because the wahi, it stopped. While the Prophet was alive, we was still had this connection to Allah. Inspiration, revelation was coming down in our ranks. But now that the Prophet has died, the wahi, the revelation has stopped. This is what brings me to tears. And Abu Bakr wow. Omar began to cry, you know, just showing her, her knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. her understanding, her grasp. They didn't think about this until they sat with her. And then, you know, this, this made them realize, wow, subhanAllah, that's such a great point. You know, mm -hmm. that we lost connection to the wahi. As we know, the doors of revelation are 40. And from among those doors, what is the only door left by which we can get some sort of inspiration? Do you know? Dreams. 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 Okay. Correct. Correct. The true dreams. Mm -hmm. Great. So, you know, um, th th this is all that is left. Mm -hmm. You know, the true dream is left for us. Um, you know, other uh, uh, figures throughout history undoubtedly would be, you know, individuals like Bilal, you know, mm -hmm. as I like to say, you know, the only black person <laughs> that Arabs, you know, uh, <laughs> truly love. And even yeah. my Asian brothers and sisters truly love. They love Bilal. Yeah. We love Bilal. As everyone else, <laughs> you know, inshallah, you're my brother in Islam. <laughs> love, they love Bilal, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have Bilal's story and um, it would be a shame on me to try to sum up or to summarize, you know, what he's done, his contribution to Islam and the likes. And, you know, I also mentioned, you know, during the Black History Month, um, you know, modern day um, um, influencers, um, mm -hmm. because sometimes young people, are, they feel a disconnect with these figures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They don't know what they look like. You know, we don't have any audio. We don't have any video. And mm -hmm. they're just stories. And what I fear for them is, you know, them having this response as Quraysh responded to our prophet with, you know, awwalin. Oh, these are just stories from the ancients. You know, these people mm. they have no significance. Yeah. So I always include towards the end of, you know, um, Black History Month, you know, people like Muhammad Ali. I mean, what can I say about Muhammad Ali? Yeah. He's one of the greats. You know, Malcolm X, you know, what can I say about him? He's one of the greats. Even Warith Dean Muhammad, the son of Elijah Muhammad. Although mm -hmm. Elijah Muhammad, he formed the nation of Islam which represented themselves as Muslims, but they are not Muslims because their belief mm -hmm. is in no way in line with our belief. But his son, Warithi Muhammad, said, no, father, you're not a prophet. Only mm -hmm. Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. And that cost him dearly, driven out of his home, 
and separated from his mother and his community. But alhamdulillah, through him and his teachings, he was able to take a bulk of the African-American community from the nation of Islam into mainstream Islam, you know? And he doesn't mm -hmm. get much credit for that. And much people don't recognize him for that. And so, you know, I feel like it's my duty to shed light on these individuals, although they may have a controversial past, past they're ending what they've done, you know, pulling, you know, um, bringing the majority of African-Americans into mainstream Islam. It's a reward that, you know, I hope that he finds with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Gotcha, inshallah. Um, you know, Jazakallah khair for giving so much of your time today. We learned a lot. Um, and, and definitely, guys, look out for his posts. Uh, inshallah, you're going to be doing that on a daily basis as well, right? For this yeah, year? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about doing it a little bit different. I, I really want to okay. do like, like two-minute videos instead instead of just Ooh. the posts. Uh, but um, today's the 29th. I may have to start that uh, <laughs> tonight or tomorrow, but inshallah, we'll see. Either way, you know, definitely, um, you know, Nafsin Wahida or, you know, at, you know, Imam Hassan Akbar, um, mm -hmm. you know, where you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and also, you know, nafsinwahida.org. Definitely. Um, my Islamic organization, different things, uh, different books. And I'm so especially excited too with the Shahada Box Project. I'm not sure if you've seen, you know, what we've been doing in that area, mm -hmm. but I mean, anyone who reach out to us and tells us that they're revert and they give us an address, we send them a Shahada box. And what is a Shahada box? A starter kit for new Muslims. Oftentimes a person accepts Islam. Everyone says, Takbir, Takbir, Takbir. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone hugs him and then leaves him. That's yeah. it, homie. You're on your own. Uh, yeah. Inshallah, make sure you come to the masjid and then we leave them. But we want to give them something. And so, you know, our Shahada box, it includes, it's, it's an actual box that we pack. And it includes, you know, a, per, uh, a Turkish prayer rug, which I think is like the most prized item, you know, that the people they get. Whenever we ask them to send us pictures, they're always sending us pictures of the prayer rug. And I'm like, alhamdulillah, you know, we're helping people to establish the prayer, but also the Quran, also fortress of the Muslims so they can learn dua, also books on how to pray, you know, books on how to perform wudu. Also, we include for our sisters hijabs and pins and mm. beads and kufis for the brothers and miswak. So we include so many things as a starter gift. Alhamdulillah, we started this three years ago. We've given out literally over 200 Shahada boxes. And Amazing. it's all funded by what? From donations, from, you know, you guys, and, you know, the followers. There are times when we have a lot of requests and there's no money. I go in my pocket. There are times, alhamdulillah, where, you know, we find some generous people have sponsored four boxes, two boxes, three boxes. And I'm always trying to mention them, you know, special thanks to this family or that family. But then most of them tell me, don't mention my name. So now it's like, well, no one's going to know you gave any money. So no one's going to give. I have to, you know, say, hey, look, this person gave, this person gave. But mm -hmm. alhamdulillah, either way, Allah always makes a way. And so, you know, I'm so excited about this Shahada Box program. And I hope that it's something that grows and catches on. It hasn't Inshallah. become what I wanted it to be. You know, I, my desire is that every masjid orders these Shahada Boxes and has it. Every masjid in New York City should have it on hand. Because people mm -hmm. are accepting Islam all over the place. Let's give them something to start off. Mm -hmm. My hope and desire was that young people like yourself and others who are, you know, leading these MSAs would say, hey, listen, we need to have five of these boxes in on the campus. So when someone accepts Islam, we just give it to them, you mm -hmm. know, as a starter kid. And, but inshallah, you know, in time, everything takes time. So inshallah, Definitely, inshallah. continuing to do the work. So these Shahada boxes, they can be found on your Facebook page, Nafsin yeah. Wahida, um, and, you know, right. your, your public page as well, Imam Hassan Akbar. Correct, correct. And for your audience, just to let them know, I have nothing but love for um, 
um, Abu Hanifa, right? We have nothing but love <laughs> for our four great imams. <laughs> All of them were amazing. And uh, interesting fact, on the day that Abu Hanifa, he died, is the same day that Imam al-Shafi'i was born. Or yeah. in the year that Imam Abu Hanifa died is the same mm -hmm. year that Imam al-Shafi'i was born. So, oh. you know, when we look at our four great imams, we find that they interacted with each other with respect. And it mm -hmm. was you know, a gathering in a circle of knowledge. And it's unfortunate that we, that we, the inheritors of their legacy, have created yeah. four different separate camps. Yeah. You know, we become very sectarian in what we follow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we become so easily offended. Definitely. May Allah grant us understanding and increase us in our knowledge. I mean, I mean, um, so just to close off, do you have any last words of advice? You've given us so much, you know, Baraka, mashallah, um, so much of your time and so much, you know, good advice. But do you just have one closing remark, closing uh, thoughts to leave our audience with, inshallah? Uh, sure. Uh, I guess, you know, my last bit of advice would be the hadith that I... Um, explained today in the Friday khutbah. You know, today mm -hmm. I gave a khutbah at MCC in Brooklyn and I, I, I explained a very lengthy hadith. And because it's fresh and it's in my mind, I think it's something that, you know, really could apply to us today. Mm -hmm. And that is the hadith on the authority of Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu, found in the Sunan of Imam al-Tirmidhi, who graded the hadith Hassan and in other narrations, Hassan li-ghayri or Hassan gharib Either way, it's a good hadith in which Abu Hurairah said that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Badiru bil a'amali sab'an. Hasten to do good deeds before seven calamities afflict you. Before one of seven calamities may touch you. So what are these seven calamities? Abu Hurairah said the Prophet began to raise his voice and began to warn us and he said, Hal tanduruna illa faqran munsiyan? Are you waiting for overwhelming poverty to befall you? Why don't you start doing good now before something happens, a calamity happens, and you're out of work? You got a pink slip. A relative is completely sick, and now you have spending all your money and taking care of them. Let's enjoin in the good while we have some wealth. The Prophet continued, or maybe exuberant wealth falls into your lap, and now you have so much money, you become busy that you no longer engage in the good deeds because of some inheritance, right? They become busy with their toys and with their wealth that they forget about Allah. And we know that this is the case. Money mostly causes a person to forget about Allah because they think, alhamdulillah, I have the money. I don't need anything. Yeah, and the way the stock market's been the past few days, it's, it's been crazy. Talking GameStop. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's talking about GameStop and the stocks. Mm. Uh, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu uh, he continued mm. and he said, uh, Or are you waiting for, um, you know, to become senile? to become infirm, weakness of mind. There are so many people who I know, and maybe you've met them too, who say to you, man, I can't wait till I retire. When I retire, I'm gonna make all my five salah in the masjid. When I retire, I'm gonna sit down and learn how to read the Quran properly. Why are you putting it off? Why are you putting it off? Maybe you reach retirement and you're not playing with a full deck of cards anymore. <laughs> maybe you don't have it anymore. This is why the Arabs, they used to say, Learning while you are young is like inscribing in stone, right? Because when you're young, it just stays with you. Trying to accomplish these things in elderly age is a, is a hardship. The Prophet, he continued and he said, mufsidan, Or maybe some sickness overtakes you, some oppressive illness. Who thought in 2020 that over 420,000 Americans would die from a coronavirus? Nobody would bet on that. But it happened 
suddenly, right? Now, mm -hmm. what can they do? Those who are in their bed or bed stricken because of the disease for a month or two weeks or three weeks, what good can you do when you're laying in bed? Nothing, right? The Prophet ﷺ, he said, or maybe death will come to you suddenly and you don't know it. And then what good can you do? And then the last two of the seven calamities he mentioned was, or are you waiting for the Dajjal to come? The Dajjal is the worst of the awaited evils. When did Dajjal come? You think we're going to be having this podcast? You think we're going to have time for this? You think we're going to have time to go feed the poor or put a table on the corner and give da'wah and call to la ilaha illallah? No one's going to have any time for anything. It's going to be fitna, fasad. The whole world's going to be upside down. No mm -hmm. rain, no food, no livestock. What are we waiting for? Why are we hesitating to do the good? Do you want the Dajjal to come? And then what? And last but not least, the Prophet, he ended, or are you waiting for the hour? Are you waiting for Israfil to blow the trumpet? Because the sa'ah, the hour, the day of judgment, it is so bitter and it is calamitous. What will come after the day of judgment? Will the sun rise again? No. The sun and the moon will be thrown into the fire. Right? This is the day of judgment we're talking about here. Right? Will you have children that will pray for you after when the trumpet is blown? No. Because the trumpet being blown will kill everything. There is no day after tomorrow. Right? So I end with that reminder that we should initiate and engage in and start doing good, whether through your podcast, you don't only have to invite imams, you could talk about a whole variety of things, but you mm -hmm. always want to bring it back to Islam. Every now and again, you bring on a nice speaker to remind the people, right? This is what we're talking about, doing the good while you have it, while you still got a nice hairline, while all your hair is still black. <laughs> That's good, you know. Still got my afro underneath this. Mail number, right? You know, let us enjoy the good before we become ill, or become before we become broke, or before we become too wealthy, or before anything. Let us just enjoy the good and forbid the evil and believe in Allah. I mean, Zakhlah Khair, Imam Hassan, for this beautiful podcast. I'm sure a lot of us will take uh, a lot from this and and inshallah implement the advice that was given today, and not just you know one one year in and then. Another out. So, alhamdulillah, jazakallah khair once again. Hopefully, you don't have to the comments. Hopefully, you don't have to the comments. <laughs> of course, of course, inshallah. Um, with that being said, uh, thanks once again and have a great day. And one more thing. Whosoever ends their conversation with this dua, then any error that they made in their speech will be forgiven. Mm -hmm. So, inshallah, Allah forgive us for it. Whatever so, we said, so. I'm definitely going to implement that going forward. I, I, I keep forgetting. All right. Um, so that's it. So yeah. you're going to memorize that dua and, and all your podcasts with it. Definitely. In definitely. Inshallah. Inshallah. All right. I got and you're you. going to get all the barakah from that. Pick up on you, inshallah. Inshallah. Da 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 da